Please stand for the reading of the word from Philippians 4. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stay firm in the Lord in this way, my beloved. I urge Euodia and I urge Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you also, my loyal companion, help these women, for they have struggled beside me in the work of the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Do not worry about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, beloved, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence and if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Keep on doing the things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned for me, but I had no opportunity to show it. Not that I am referring to being in need, for I have learned to be content with whatever I have. I know what it is to have little, and I know what it is to have plenty. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being well-fed and of going hungry, of having plenty and of being in need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. The word of the Lord. Please be seated. Good morning, Highland. It's good to see you here today. Uh, before we jump into the sermon, um, I have kind of a, a special, uh, it's an exciting opportunity. It's an important opportunity for our church. Um, for the past 70 years, we've used this building as a gathering place for our work in the city. We've used this facility to care uh, for our neighbors in various ways, seeking to share uh, and serve them in the name of God and also carry with to them the message of Jesus. And one of the ways I, one of the things I love about Highland is the ways this building gets used. But now, before the pandemic, this building was being used um, seven days a week, several times a day. Uh, Boys and Girls Club uses our gym on Monday through Friday. Young Children's World uh, uses our children's wings on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Uh, and many use this building for meetings, for birthday parties, and for a myriad of other needs. We have uh, around 500 college students that come in here every weekend for midnight worship. Uh, we have uh, King David's kids, uh, children with special needs that use our facility. And I, and I love, I deeply appreciate how Highland uh, has used this space to provide hospitality for our neighbors and our city. Brothers and sisters, there is a new vision of how we can partner to use this space in even more. There was a dream that came from our young professionals class, a dream uh, that grew and took on a life of its own. And the staff and the elders have met with these members, and we are pleased to announce the following. Beginning very soon, we are hoping to start a remodel of the South Atrium as a kid-friendly space and a remodel of our four bathrooms behind the auditorium. Now, part of this remodel includes an indoor play space, not only for our children, but the children in YCW and others to play on. 
And all you have to do is go out into the South Foyer after church today, and uh, you're going to see the rich blessing that we have of children. And one of the things I love about Highland is our value of using every resource, including space, we use it completely up before we replace it. If, 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 if Highland had a tube of toothpaste, we would squeeze that toothpaste absolutely dry. And I'm here you today to tell you the bathrooms behind the auditorium are used up toothpaste tubes. We have used that space completely up. Uh, those bathrooms have been there since the 1950s. And I love this about Highland. I love that we have chose um, to show our values of people over places. And I love that we've chose ministry to those in our city over our own comfort. But let's be honest, the time has come. Those bathrooms have become a little bit of an eyesore. And I want you to understand this remodel is an exercise in hospitality. What we're trying to do is show young families and our neighbors in Abilene that we deeply desire for them to feel welcome here. Not just by our words, not just by our kindness, but also by the way we care for these spaces. And we hope this space will become a welcome stop for young parents to gather and talk and, and children, where they, a place where they can play in the hottest times of the summer and the chill of the winter. We hope to refresh our facilities, puts us on the best foot forward as we welcome the people that God is sending us to love and care for. Since about 2016, Highland has taken a restoration offering at the end of the year. This offering did two important things. First, it regulated any budget uh, shortfall we experienced in our giving, but it also created the opportunity for us to cast vision around opportunities to serve next year. It gave us a plan to dream. And I'm very excited to share with you in, in about a month uh, some of the new things we believe God is calling us to do for the next few years. Uh, those are new initiatives and new opportunities as, as we work with God, as we partner with God to restore Highland, restore Abilene, and restore the world. This remodel is exactly one of those opportunities. And so this year we're going to begin the restoration offering early. The ELT and the YCW uh, have already committed $75,000 for this project. Our staff and eldership met this week and committed a total of $44,220. And additional gifts, which is mostly from the Young Professionals class, totaled $33,148. In total, our leadership has already raised $152,368. However, that is good news. We estimate that the total cost of this project uh, to be just short of $500,000. So, we still have a ways to go. I want to ask that you prayerfully consider how you can partner with us to achieve this vision. We're going to have more information and more resources available for you in the coming weeks, but if you'd like, on your way out today, pass through that south atrium, and you can see some of the, the blueprints and the models that we've already worked up. When you would like to give... Uh, to this work, in addition to your regular offering, you can do so online or in the boxes at the back of the auditorium. But to keep it all straight, to keep your regular gift separate from this restoration gift, please designate either in the memo line of your check or online. You can you use the click down menu to do the South for your remodel. So write South for your remodel in the memo line of your check or use that click box as you give online. 
One of the things I love about Highland, one of the things that I deeply respect about Highland is the ways that it has faithfully tried to follow God as God has called us to serve in this city and around the world. And we have coming up a new opportunity to find new ways to, to, to see where God is working in this world and for us to exercise the courage of joining God in God's kingdom expansion. So be in prayer over the next few weeks as you hear more information about this project, about how you can join to serve our youngest, the youngest part of our, our church and offer hospitality to the most important people that God cares about in this neighborhood. Will you please pray with me? Father, as, as I, I hear the testimony of those who are faithful to you in, this, in the past, faithful to you uh, to see your vision of a church that could change the face of Abilene, that could make a difference in this region and in the world. Father, elders and ministers and faithful leaders who have given sacrificially of their time and their talent and their treasure uh, to make a place for others to find out of your love, I give you praise. And when I think of the, the, the testimony of those who were faithful in the past, through the words of Scripture, who, who saw a vision of what you were doing in this world and had the courage to join, who gave up land for a place that they did not yet know, who gave up the way of their life for a new way that would provide blessing for others, who left home to spread the gospel to places that they had never seen before. We give you thanks. Father, please count us worthy to be included in the cloud of witnesses that has shared your name around your, your world. Father, give us the courage to follow you and we'll do whatever it takes. And now, Father, as we turn our hearts and our minds to your word, I pray that you pour through me the gift of preaching, that I might speak your truth and love to these, your people. And it's together that the church says, amen. All right, so I want you to turn your Bible to Philippians chapter 4 because I want you to kind of flip through it as we're going through uh, the rest of the sermon today. I want to tell you how it started. It started with a miscommunication. It, it, it began with a poorly worded, worded response or, or you know, it, 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 the, the root of it all was a slight over something, an, an oversight. Maybe it was the political sticker on the back of Eodia's car or the Facebook meme that Syntyche shared. Maybe it was one of the million ways that two people can get sideways with one another and, and pride or spite or just plain stubbornness kept them apart to the point where the whole church in that little city of Philippi can no longer ignore the tension. And so Epaphroditus travels to Paul to give him the gift that they've collected because they heard that he was in prison. But more importantly, he brought the message of what's going on in the church. And he says, Paul, you need to say something. And so Paul begins his letter by singing a hymn that all the Philippians would recognize. It was a song that they had sung in their hearts since the church began. And he uses that hymn as, as, a, as a diving board to talk about what, what it looks like to, to follow Jesus, how it looks like when Timothy followed or when Epaphroditus followed. On the way to give the gift, he got deathly ill. He almost didn't make it. And, and what he himself, as an example, Paul looks like when he follows Jesus to give everything up for the sake of others. 
And then we turn the corner in, in Philippians chapter 4, and he's ready for the punch that he's been saving the entire book because he says, I urge you. And then he names names. Oh, it's getting good. In chapter 3, he just called a bunch of people dogs. But here he goes. He's about to call some ladies out. I urge you. And in, in, in a Greek uh, language at his time, in Paul's language, he uses the most strong urging that you can possibly urge in, in, in the Greek language. In my house growing up, it's the word that we used was ought. And my mom and dad said, well, you ought to take out the trash. And that sounds pretty innocuous. But inside that ought is the most powerful way to get me, to get us to do something. You ought to be nice to your brother. He's going to be the only one that's around when you're old. You ought. And so he names names. Syntyche. Iodia. You, I urge you. What does he want? He wants them to be like-minded. He, he wants them to be, to be friends, but uh, not in the way that you and I think of friends, really. Um, you, you see, um, uh, the friendship in, 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 the, in Greek culture is, is the highest, most pure form of relationship. And kind of the hierarchy of, of loves, friendship is at, is at the top. And C.S. Lewis called friendship looking at the world shoulder to shoulder from the same perspective. It's the deepest form of connection that humans can form. In the Greek culture, a friend is much more important than, than a, an amorous partner or a romantic partner or a spouse. Friendship is the bedrock that you can build your life on. And so what he's calling them to is not just get along or quit arguing. Quit making such a ruckus in the church. He calls them for something deeper. He calls them to be friends. And how do you suppose that happens? How do you reconcile? How, how, how are you supposed to build it all back after you've burnt every bridge down? I mean, does our, is it our heart that leads our minds? Our minds that leads our hearts? How does that all work out? You know, I think there's a lot of misinformation about love, or at least the nature of love. What we typically call love is just some uh, chemical impulses that wash your brain, and they make you feel giddy or, or Twitter-pated, and that's a wonderful feeling, and it's, it's the birth, it's the start of what things are. But actual friendship, actual love is something that's much deeper than that. It's a commitment not born out of the way we feel or the chemicals that are firing in our brains, but rather it looks like covenant. It looks like that song, that hymn. There are echoes of that hymn all throughout the book of Philippians. It's that song of what it means to be committed to one another, how God was committed to us, how Christ shows loyalty to humanity and, 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 and to one another. And I, and I love that he slips in, Paul slips in at this point, that their names are written in the book of life. And he's talking about his, his fellow workers. He's talking about Clement and Epaphroditus. But he's also talking about Iodia and Syntyche who were there from the beginning. And he kind, of, he kind of makes it known. You guys are stuck with each other. 
This is not just a 12-hour car ride to get somewhere else. You are stuck with each other for eternity because your names are written in the book of life. And so you might as well learn how to get along. More than that, you might as well learn how to love each other. But the way you see through it, the way you reconcile, Paul says, it all depends on how you see them. Paul says, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable, if there is anything of excellence, they said there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And Paul hasn't moved on from reconciliation. It's easy in the book of Philippians because there's so many bumper stickers. We're going to come up another one that I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. It's easy to hear that bumper sticker, that phrase, and, and kind of lose sight of the argument that Paul's making. I don't want us to lose sight. He's still talking about reconciliation. He's not talking about just beautiful sunsets or going to the Louvre or hearing a beautiful piece of music. He's talking about one another. The way you love through the conflict, the way that you reconcile, is all about how you see them. It's not necessarily that something that starts in your heart or even something that starts in your mind. It's something that starts in your will. When you choose to see the good in someone that you despise. And somehow seeing the God in them. I mean, yes, Iodia said some terrible things about you. But she was also the one that was there when your parents died. Yes, Syntyche has not stopped being cruel since you guys had that argument. But don't forget, she is the one that told you about Jesus. She's the reason you're here. Paul hasn't moved on from reconciliation. And I wonder if that's an insight into how our minds work, how our bodies were created by God to bring about change in our own lives. Because your emotions are going to come and go. You're going to feel in love and you're going to feel out of love. You're going to feel that sense of friendship. You're going to disagree with one another. Your mind is going to get deluded and pushed uh, to the extremes by the voices and the, the influences that you hear. The only thing that you have that allows you to remain in Christian covenant with one another is your will. I choose to see the good in someone else even when I disagree with them. That is a voice and a message that is being completely unheard in our culture today. Because right now in our culture today, what you are being encouraged to do is listen to a certain set of voices, listen to a certain set of influences, and what you're hearing from them is if you don't agree, if someone doesn't agree with this idea, then you need to push them far away. Don't let them influence you. Only these ideas can be the ones that influence you. If they're saying something else that doesn't say what I've said, then you need to push them out. You don't need to listen to them. And unfortunately, I get the sense that the voices that are the loudest in our culture are not coming from Scripture. They're coming from somewhere else. And we should not be so naive as to think the ways that we have been wounded in the past can be rectified by thinking nice thoughts. But it's a start. 
It begins in the, in the force of your will by choosing to see the good. It moves to your thinking as you spend time finding the good in the others, thinking on the things in them that, are, that are, relate to the image of God, that show you the beauty of Christ. And it moves to empathy as you begin to see the good in them. You can begin to understand what it's like to live in their shoes and see what it's like to see what they've suffered through. And then you find yourself shoulder by shoulder, seeing the world in the same perspective, but it doesn't end there. It ends in action. It ends in finding and seeking forgiveness. It ends in finding and seeking reconciliation. It can't be that easy to reconcile the years of hurt and pain, to atone for the things you said and you did. You say it can't be that easy, but But that's how reconciliation began. That's how it started after apartheid in South Africa. That's how it happened after the genocide in Rwanda. It's by forming places and communities and spaces where people can tell the truth and atone. Now, this is a big scope. I don't think that we, as a community, need to tackle some of those big questions. It might be easier to start with your neighbor. It might be easier to start with the person that you got sideways with. The person who wrote you an unnecessarily mean letter or said terrible things about you. Why don't you start there? In fact, I'm about to meddle. That person that might be in this room right now, the person who hurts you, the person who said something cruel, the person with whom you've you sealed off that wound a long time ago. That person may not be in this room because it got so uncomfortable that they had to leave. And it seems to be, at least from this text, at least what Paul says to that small church in Philippi that's struggling to find identity in Christ, that it begins with you making the choice to change your mind, to allow your mind to change your heart, and then you taking the steps for reconciliation. Start by trying to think of it from the same place. Start by trying to find the level ground where you both stand. In light of God's grace offered to you, in light of your own immaturity, in light of the grace for your own mistakes, what can you hold against a friend? And keep the echo of the hymn in your heart, Christ who gave up all. How are you Christ to others? And when we stand in the same place, shoulder to shoulder, looking at the world through the same lens, when we allow Christ to be the model and the example of who we are, we ask the question, what is God doing in this world? And and who are the lives going to be touched by this reconciliation? Not so much that I feel better or they feel better, but this is the example of what it means to live together in covenant. Who's going to be changed by your decision to have the courage to use your will, to change your mind, to change your heart, to take the first steps of seeking or finding forgiveness. It can't be that easy. But maybe, just maybe, maybe it is. 
Because what we find out, what we discover, it's the beauty of God's grace. It's a mystery that I don't understand. But when you find the courage to have mercy on your enemy, when you find the courage to have mercy on the person you're in conflict with, what you discover in that process is that you have the ability to have mercy on yourself. I don't know how that's true, but I know, I know that it is. Please stand for our benediction. My brothers and sisters, God is not done with Highland yet. I have full confidence that the best that we have in store, where God can use us to change this city and to change the world, is in our future. It's not in our past. But what I do know, what I do know, is that the cracks that exist within us will prevent us from experiencing that reality. Until we find the way to resolve the tension here, it's going to be very difficult to be used to serve there. So this week, may you find the courage to change your mind and your heart, your words and your will. May you be filled with God's presence and go in peace.